Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's September 20th. 1946, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Hello, and welcome to the show where seemingly every day we discuss the history of attempts to extend the summer season at various beach resorts. Uh, We did Atlantic City and Miss America a few weeks ago, the Blackpool Illuminations yesterday, and honestly, we did not connect the dots when we planned the subjects <laughs> for this week's show. But today we turn to the Cannes Film Festival, which was revived on this day in 1946 as a way to get tourists to return to the French Riviera. This time, obviously, 1946, following World War II. I admire in a way that they were so quick off the mark in putting it back on, given that the original festival had intended to make its debut in September 1939, a month and a year that may be familiar to even the most casual of (laughs) history buffs as the point in time where uh, Hitler uh, sent troops into Poland. (laughs) Yes, they premiered The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and that turned out to be the only film that was screened there, because after the opening night, Gala on the 31st of August, which was attended by loads of US stars. MGM had chartered an ocean liner to bring them all over. You know, it was all very glamorous. Then, yeah, Germany invaded Poland. They said, let's just put the, very optimistically, let's just put the programme on hold for a few days and see how the situation develops. And then, of course, (laughs) they had to call it off. Well, the festival itself had sort of come about due to the existence of Hitler over in Germany and Mussolini in Italy, because the Venice Film Festival was the very first uh, annual international film festival. And it had started up in 1932. But by 38, it had really become this vehicle for just whatever fascist or Nazi Nazi propaganda film uh, Mussolini or Hitler decided should win that year. I saw that repeated often across various websites as kind of stated fact. And I was like, yeah, okay, I know that every film that came out in Germany was endorsed by Hitler. But I mean, you know, just how fascist are the films going to be that won prizes? Yeah. <laughs> pretty fascist yeah. is the answer when you look at what won. Yeah, it's like Lenny Riefenstahl's four-hour yeah. epic on why Germany is so great. Which won a joint prize at Venice, by the way, Arian, with a film directed by Vittorio Mussolini. <laughs> Benito's own son, which was about Italy and Ethiopia. Wait, that was the one that won the Mussolini Cup? That's, 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 that's so surprising. <laughs> At least they didn't have to waste time engraving his name on it. Just give right. it <laughs> Dear Mussolini, love Mussolini. <laughs> I mean, well done to the Venice Film Festival because it's still going as well. I suppose historically being the first film festival in the world is kind of important that it carries on. But, uh, you know, to overcome that particular PR disaster of the 1930s is quite impressive, actually. They obviously stopped calling it the Mussolini Cup. Right. <laughs> so all of that is why France took it upon itself to organise its own kind of breakaway good guys film festival. And that's what leads <laughs> us to this moment in 1946. Yeah, they actually got round to relaunching the Cannes Film Festival surprisingly quickly, given that Europe was pretty much almost still smoking. They really went right back into it. There were films from 18 countries. Obviously, certain countries were not invited. Uh, and each country also contributed one jury member. And they were able to put a pretty good show on. And they hadn't yet built the dedicated palace 
Palace, where they would host future Cannes Film Festivals. It was held in the city's casino. And the festivities included displays by Senegalese and Moroccan sharpshooters. I'm guessing that was still a bit of a war hangover. (laughs) And also a flower fight parade. Though perhaps because they had got it up and running so very quickly, the reels, for example, of Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious were shown in the reverse order. And apparently Delgado's The Three Musketeers were projected upside down. And I was thinking, how long as the projectionist (laughs) are you sticking with your upside down you know version of a Delgado film before you're like actually sorry this wasn't just some weird sort of artistic intention actually I've I've cocked up and it needs to be the other way up have you ever seen that happen in a cinema before by the way oh I, I've had like um sound not come on or those sorts of yeah. things and the projectionist has to reappear no, I've been it. at a screening where they got the reels the wrong way around and it was <laughs> a screening where the director was there for a Q&A oh, afterwards no. <laughs> but the director was in a bar chatting to the journalist who was hosting the Q&A during the film because he's seen it a million times and so the whole audience saw this film the wrong way round and so when it got to the Q&A there were about three questions being like I'm really interested how you decided to tell the story in this strange chronology and it took about ten minutes for the journalist to twig that all the questions were coming from this weird place that wasn't relevant <laughs> and when it became apparent to the entire audience that the projectionist had ballsed up in this way there was a real relief of laughter across the room because it, the film made absolutely no sense at all <laughs> well to be fair if it is a premiere and it's the first time anyone's seeing yeah. it including maybe the projectionist because often the you know the film reels are run to them as the very last thing after they've been finalised and cut to their perfect state then you know no one's seen it so you know, maybe it was meant to be an upside down musketeers. <laughs> I mean, this may explain why Hitchcock's Notorious was not among the winners of the Palme d'Or, which at the time was called the, Gr- the Grand Prix. It seems like the vibe of the festival was more about celebrating creativity and the war is over and isn't it nice to do this again, rather than being a kind of a cutthroat contest, because the first prize was split into an 11 way tie. It turns out that the French government may have been a little bit over hasty in organising the festival so soon after the war, because the 1947 edition suffered from some misfortunes like the tarpaulin covering the roof of the unfinished palace blew away in a storm the the jury was all made up of french film critics so it wasn't really an international affair and then in 1948 and in 1950 the festival had to be cancelled due to budget problems but it was the 50s and 60s that turned Cannes into this great golden age you know, part of it being that european movies were gaining a big audience in the u.s but also hollywood was getting a bit more creative pushing boundaries a little bit more and so you had these cross-cultural stars like bridget bardot and sophia So the red carpet was full of these household names from Hollywood and Europe who were really well known on both sides of the Atlantic. But it was about two things. It was the red carpet, but it was also the fact that it was this glorious beachside location. Although it wasn't literally the red carpet because that wasn't instilled until the 1980s. That's true. But the festival itself has come to so overpower that beachside town thing that actually the establishment of the festival was meant to extend. You know, they'd set it up, as you said in your intro, Ollie, to extend the summer season. But now if you know Cannes for anything, it's for its international (laughs) film festival. Interestingly, before they had settled on Cannes as the location they'd thought about doing it in Biarritz and eventually Cannes managed to basically do a big number on uh, convincing the organisers to bring it to them but it does mean that Christina Aguilera's much mocked question so where is the Cannes Film Festival this year would at least at one time have been fairly pertinent (laughs) I mean I'm assuming that she only went once because it would be kind of bad if she'd been multiple times and was under the impression she'd been going to a different (laughs) city every time right (laughs) (laughs) It's quite interesting, though, that because I always wondered why was it held in Europe at all rather than America when clearly commercially 
you know, Hollywood was way ahead of Britain and France mm. uh, by the 1940s. But we've explained why because of this Second World War context. But also, I think, a nervousness in America at this point that their movies were not as sophisticated, which, you know, these days they will premiere a Marvel movie at Cannes because it's a business fair now. But then there was still this kind of like awkwardness mm. that the Brits and the French were making art and they were making popcorn. Uh, I found this critic from the New York Times in 1946, quote, At first, the gaudy inconsequentialities of Hollywood films simply received a good-natured bird <laughs> from the audience. Uh, but as time went on, it all began to rankle and the feeling developed that while Europe had grown more mature by suffering in the war, Americans remained the genial and acquisitive half-wits our detractors are anxious to prove we are. <laughs> because they were making escapism still, you know? Yeah. Just a touch of the inferiority complex shining through there. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard about the Raoul thing? No. No. So apparently it's a tradition. This is so can. Like this <laughs> sums up the fact that it's the same group of critics that go every year and it's an exclusive club whilst also having this carnival atmosphere, right? So everyone's in their black tie, they're sitting in the palace, whatever it's called, watching the big movie. And it's now a tradition that when the lights go down after they, there's a kind of pre-film trailer of the Cannes Film Festival with the logo and some swelling classical music, when the lights go down on that, someone shouts, Raoul! <laughs> and then, like, ten other people shout back, Raoul! Raoul! It's a thing. Why? Right? Who's, Ra who's Raoul? So there are various theories as to how this has come about. <laughs> One is specifically there was like a Spanish film director called Raul something or other in the 1970s and uh, his young crew were so excited to be at Cannes that when the lights went down they all turned round to him in kind of mutual excitement and went, Raul, Raul, like your film's about to start. So it could be that or it could be that someone went in there like with a mate and when the lights went down, they couldn't find them. Right. Like, Raul, where are you? I'm trying to sit next to you. But in any case, it's become a thing since the 70s, been going for 50 years, That's... this stupid joke, like people clapping when people break plates in Britain. That is a fun-running joke that I could totally take into a regular cinema and be happy with. <laughs> like, <laughs> as soon as the lights go down, everyone starts shouting Raul. <laughs> we could do that. We could start that right here. Yeah. If you're going to the cinema tonight, the lights go down, you'll know if there's another Retrospectors fan in the house if you go, Raul! <laughs> Or another Cannes film critic. Yeah, 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 either. Tomorrow. He got lucky in so many ways by winning the literal lottery literally twice. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.